I'm Chuck Norris, and I approve this game. Roll for Initiative Podcast, volume number three, issue number 115, DM Vince sitting alongside DM Nick. I'm back! Where'd you go? Uh, to the bathroom? No. Oh. Well, that was quick then. <laughs> Cap- camping, yes, camping. Oh, you, want, you want camping, camping, okay. Yes, yeah, more on that later. <laughs> Ooh, okay, I can't wait to hear. Uh, so this week we got a special guest uh, sitting in with us, coming live, well, taped at this point, you guys listen to it. The Web Warlock, you may know him as, <laughs> Tim Brannon. How you doing, Tim? Very good. Thanks for having me, guys. And if you're not familiar with Tim, he has been on the web for, like, ever. Like, since the web started, Tim's been there putting stuff on the web as the Web Warlock. I remember him back from, like, the AOL days, so. Yeah. Anyway, Tim's going to talk a little bit about himself now, Tim. So we're going to put you on the podium and the spotlight's on oh, you. Oh, great. Tell us a little well, bit about you were on the web when I, Al Gore, invented the internet. Yeah, <laughs> yeah something like that. That's, that's right. That's, that's wonderful. Thanks. Help me find Man Bear later. Man Bear Pig. <laughs> yeah. Now go ahead, Tim. Yeah, that, that's probably going back. That's actually probably going back to the old, um, back when uh, the MPGN had the uh, all the listservs for all of the uh, yeah. Dungeons and Dragons products. Yep. So wow. I was really I was really active on Ravenloft L and Mistara L, mm-hmm. and I'd poke around on uh, uh, forgotten the Forgotten Realms list, which I just was called Realms, just mm-hmm. to you know remind them how they were doing everything wrong. <laughs> I wasn't I wasn't a big Realms fan back then, uh, having grown up with Greyhawk. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Greyhawk. Right. Yep. Got. Got to got to stick true to my roots. Um, so yeah, did all did all that was on there. Got a got my first website up and started throwing stuff out for, on the net for back back when everybody was always worried that TSR would shut you down, send the you know the <laughs> dreaded cease and desist. There, uh, I used to talk. What what was it? The um, the one site Morris's site was it? No, I don't I don't I don't remember off the top of my head. There were a lot of almost gonzo websites back then mm-hmm. that were un- really underground and you had to get a special password so that you could get, you know, <laughs> you know, the great net, you know, the great net class netbook or something like that, or the spell book. That's right. Yeah. Back, now, now, of course, people just give away stuff all over the place and nobody cares. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> well, because there's no T dollar sign R around there taking everything down. So that's right. Yeah. <laughs> I, you know, I guess. I guess, you know, that is one of the things we tend to forget about these days where, you know, with what the I, – I, I say it's kind of the OGL, but it you – know, you know, heaven forbid I say something decent about uh, Wizards of the Coast, but I'm Ooh. going to anyway, Ooh. is that they really – they're like, yeah, you want to put something up? Great, go ahead, do it. Oh, hey, you want some graphics? Here, here's a whole bunch of them you can use and put on your website yourself. Just link back to us, and we'll be cool about it. And then we were all like, really? You're not going to sue us or anything? This isn't a trap, is it? <laughs> no, no, it's really. It's a trap. Yeah, exactly. Admiral Atbar steps in. <laughs> go back to Star Wars. No, we'll, we'll, just, we'll, just, you know, we'll just you know, change the rule set on you every four or five years, but that's okay. You can still do stuff. But, yeah, it used to be pretty different back in those uh, early days, you know, in the way back days of the 90s. 
I know I had my own stuff on AOL that got pulled down by the T dollar sign R. So yeah, was Re- and Lorraine Williams was still a part of that early mid nineties, right? Yeah, she, she was. Still part I, of yeah, she was. Yeah, yes, the Wicked Witch of the West. Mm-hmm. But we're only going to talk about good witches today, or something yeah, like that. I guess. Well, we can talk about maybe witches. some bad witches. Well, well you know, you know, the bad witches are good too. So we invited Tim on the show today because we're going to be focusing a little bit on witches and warlocks, even though warlock is not really a term for witch. But you know, some people just use it anyway. Uh, so Tim can explain a little bit more about that since he's the web warlock himself. So. <laughs> that sounds really well, the web warlock. So you know, whatever. exactly. Yeah, I was exp- I was explaining earlier, and actually, I was going to talk about it. I. That's what I used to be known as online all the time, yep. because I have this vain attempt I had of keeping my sort of web persona and my real academic persona separate. Because mm-hmm. I thought, oh well, you know, if if I'm going up for tenure and they see all this stuff I'm doing online, it may you know come back and bite me in the ass. And I'm like, eh. and then right around, I guess I was doing some digging on some old posts I'd made on, uh, like I said, well, the old, you know, the old uh, listservs right around 2001, apparently is when I stopped caring about that. <laughs> and I was like, eh, whatever. And if they figure it out, they figure it out. I don't blame you. Alex. Who knows back then, you know, the, putting up D&D stuff, oh, you're evil. So, you know. Yes, we can't have that amongst our uh, academic intelligence, you know. Yeah, exactly. Well, for me, it was more along the lines of, really, this is what you're spending your free time doing? Shouldn't you be doing research all the time? It's like, yeah, I do research all the time. It's like, hey, I don't want to do it all the time. Now so I was, I was a, called hobbies. Yeah, well, yeah. I, I was a stats professor mm-hmm. back then over at, uh, you know, a major grant uh, fulfilling university. Mm-hmm that they may or may not want me to talk about, but I don't care, really. (laughs) Uh, So, yeah, I just did that. And then after a while, I was like, yeah, you know, I kind of want people to know me for what I'm doing. And that was also around the same time I started. Well, we were talking about that's about the same time I started working on the Buffy game. Yes. And I'm like, well, you know, I want people people who are familiar with this set of work to know me with this other set of work as well. So, yeah, I just put it all together. You definitely have to uh, take some time, Tim, and put your old stuff back on your blog because there were some good little gems you put up in the past. So, oh yeah, I well, I my uh, my old website, which was actually called the other side, the same as my blog now, Mm -hmm. uh, had got hit by some hackers. Oh, Um, wait, probably right around 2013, and then I I was struggling to keep sort of keep ahead of them, Mm -hmm. but I was not as successful as I'd hoped. So eventually, my, there was like from 2000, oh, I said 2013, I meant yeah. 2003. Oh, okay. And um, from like from there to 2005, there was not, I had nothing online whatsoever. And then that's when I decided to put my blog back up. So I have to, I've been slowly going through my my back store of things because cool. I've been, I've been writing you know, stuff and keeping it on hard drives or floppy disk or whatever, you know, since I was in college in the late eighties and I just didn't think anybody would ever want to look at it. So every so often I'll just, I'll dig through the archives and think, ah, well that doesn't suck half as bad as I thought it did. Maybe (laughs) I'll put that up too. But believe me, most, most of the, most of it isn't going to see the light of day. So you've written for the, for the Buffy game. What other stuff have you done? (laughs) Excuse me. Um, I wrote. I, I did. I, I was doing a lot of work for Eden. 
back mm-hmm. in the uh, early part of 2000. So I wrote their D20 Libra Bisterius book. Mm-hmm. I, I, that was their monster book. I did some of the things for that. Mm-hmm. So in addition to writing a monster, I was sort of their OGL watchdog <laughs> to make sure they couldn't do anything that they weren't supposed to do because we were, everybody was still very touchy about what you could or could not do with the OGL. Yeah, I remember mm-hmm. those. And you know, it was kind of like, uh, is this even okay? <laughs> yeah, well, was, and some of the stuff we pull, you know, some of the stuff we get away with now, as a matter of course, like Osric was a big deal on yeah. the OGL list, it, with people saying, "Oh, I'm not going to touch that thing with a ten foot pole." Well, you know, it, nowadays everybody, I mean, Osric has obviously been a success because I've got these nice, shiny new first edition books that Watsy put together. Um. So yeah, they obviously thought it was working fine. Yeah, they were nice too. Um, my Unearthed Arcana book is now not falling apart. Yeah, me too. <laughs> I guess I got lucky. So, Mine still was still good, good condition. So mine's in decent shape, um, but this one's obviously better. And like I mentioned before, my kids have just started in a first edition game. Oh, that's so nice. now my first edition books get a lot more use. You know, in the last, they've gotten more use in the last year than they got the ten years prior. So having these new ones out, it's like, well, here, use these, and then these other ones that I have that are you know thirty years old, I'll just keep over here so that they don't get destroyed. Hmm. But uh, yeah, so I worked with I worked with Eden on Libra Bisteris, their D twenty monster book, which led to working with them on Buffy. So I worked on the Buffy game. I wrote quite a bit of the Slayer's Handbook, and I worked a little bit on Monster Smackdown. Oh, cool! And, then, and Monster Smackdown was on. And actually, the um, one of the uh, the actual the Kendra the uh, Slayer in Training yeah. package mm-hmm. uh, came from one of the characters that I was playing doing playtests. Uh, a character oh. by the na- by the name of Senan. She was uh, this uh, Indian girl living in uh, England. And I thought, oh, well, she was a Slayer in training. It was based off of a character that a friend of mine had created. And, you know, I used Senan for a while. So she actually became the first Slayer in training before there was ever such a thing on TV, which I was pretty happy about. So her stats live on forever now in the, in the book. And did that, worked with uh, some people on the Magic Box. Mm. And about that time, I was getting really burned out on Buffy. Wow, that Magic so, Box is the most hardest book to find out of that whole entire series. I uh, Yeah, and mine I have signed by Amber Benson. Oh, wow. So, so you know, she signed it right on her picture there on the front. Well, which actually led to, after work on that, I got really burned out on Buffy, both, you know, as a game and as a show. And I started working with Amber Benson and Chris Golden on the Ghosts of Albion game, hmm. which I wrote. And Ghost is Ghost. I have to say is is my baby. I love Ghosts of Albion. I really do. Um, I worked harder on that game than I think I ever have worked on anything. Uh, so Just it's a, a quick you know, note, Tim. Anyone who's not familiar with Amber Benson, if you did watch the Buffy series, she was Tara on that series. That's right. Just in case someone was like, "Who's Amber?" So. Yeah, so they they Amber Benson and Chris Gold went out were in England and they did the uh, B, this BBC animation Ghosts of Albion and there were two episodes of that and there was a short story mm-hmm. and then they did you know some novels and we've got the game of the world uh, I guess the cheating shorthand way of describing it is Victorian age Buffy wow uh, <laughs> excuse me so it does take place in the Victorian age 
uses the exact same system. And I actually remember I was at, um, I was showing Amber the first draft of the game. She had been in Chicago to do a uh, convention. So I took her out to her very first Chicago deep dish pizza ever. Yay. <laughs> Excuse me. Sorry, I got a bit of a cold here. We'll so we went out and I showed her the game and she's like, she was very excited about the fact that she could play Buffy in her own world. <laughs> that would be that because she said if she was going to play, that's the character she'd want to play. I'm like, but Tamara is so much cooler, you know. And I showed her. She goes, Well, yeah, Tamara is cooler. Um, <laughs> Tamara, if, for those of you who haven't seen the BBC, she's the she's the sort of the, she's the main character, mm-hmm. and that she's the one who. Uh, inherits all this magic so i worked a lot on that and that was an absolute blast i got to work with you know amber i got to work with chris they were really cool and uh yeah that was a lot of fun did you do any work Um, with uh, james marsters or no no i didn't um to be honest with you he's he's actually he's an interesting guy i never actually gave him gave him much credit really to be honest with you yeah uh i was never a spike fan well, well, obviously, I mean, I'm, a, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm a fan of the witches, so it was for okay. me. It was always it was Willow and Tara. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, but after that, it's like it was. You know, it wasn't until after the show got done, and I was listening to the Dresden Files books on tape, mm-hmm. where he, whereas James Marsters is the one narrating them all. Oh, I didn't know he and, narrated the books. Oh, right. and on, I'll be honest with you, he's fantastic. He is absolutely fantastic narrator okay, okay. of these, and he's you know I mean he's a he used he was living here in Chicago, um, you know during the eighties he was part of Second City and all that other stuff. So he knows he actually knows Chicago better than Mars James. Uh, excuse me, he knows Chicago better than Jim Butcher does. Oh wow, okay, yeah, because you know, Butcher. I mean, you know, Butcher is like I was going through the first book and I'm I'm thinking to myself, no, we don't call that the JFK, we call it the Kennedy, <laughs> but. Because you know he lives in St. Louis, where mm-hmm. there they've got a highway there that's called the JFK. Well, here it's not. Uh, anyway, it's a Chicago thing, and we kind of get bent out of shape when you when you do things wrong. We don't have a conceal and carry law here, despite what it says in the Dresden's Files books. <laughs> They're still fighting about that in Springfield. Uh, but you know, once I get past all that, I'm like, oh, these are cool. These are awesome. And of course, I have to admit, it was James Marsters who really got me hooked into the books because. He's he's such a good actor, really. And I never gave him credit in Buffy, but it wasn't until afterwards that I gave him, you know, the credit that he's actually due. I excellent job in Buffy and Angel, and excellent job in, in uh, Smallville as well. You know, I only saw one episode of him in Smallville, to be honest with you. I, but I thought he was actually very good in that. Mm-hmm. Uh, Torchwood, though, he was in Torchwood. Yeah, yeah, very good there too. It was very good. Very so, different kind of character. <laughs> so we let Tim talk long enough, so we'll let him have a chance to breathe here for a second. Sure. Let's over and get some into the show a little bit. Nick, what, tell us a little bit what's going on with the stars. What's going on there? Oh, yeah, we got uh, some more stars here. So uh, just let you know, you get on to iTunes, and you can uh, look us up on the uh, iTunes store. Type in, search, uh, type in the search for Roll for Initiative. And just go right to reviews, and we'll read as many of our uh, reviews as we can. We got one new one. I really like this one. This is by Dave the Average. (laughs) Dave the Average here. And he gives us five stars. It says, so much better than shop class. So (laughs) you'll you'll see what I mean by this. It 
And uh, Dave says, it was 1981, uh-huh. and I was utterly failing to make a knife holder in wood shop, mostly because I was afraid of the saws. <laughs> Another less than skilled crafts, craftsman reaching in his ba- reached into his bag and drew out a red box with a dragon on the cover, and shop class suddenly became awesome. Mm. Flash forward more years than I can count, and for my midlife uh, nerd moment, I started collecting all the first edition books, then came modules and then i wonder if i could if anyone was still playing the game Mm -hmm. while searching for information i found the rfi podcast i was hooked five minutes into the first cast here are a bunch of guys sitting around talking old school ad and d like it was more than just nostalgia or something from their childhood they were talking about it like grown up grown up nerds but still (laughs) grown-ups the rfi dms take ad and d and make it live uh, and breathe again without trying to modernize it or shoehorn it into the later abominations. I mean, iterations. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Blending classic TSR material with contemporary methods of play, RFI brings AD&D into the 21st century. Their interviews with the masters of the game and game masters strike the right tone between keeping their guests on topic and letting them sit back and just tell stories about the early days of gaming. The hosts are articulate, Funny and immediately knowledgeable on their subject matter. Not a mean trick when it comes to gaming where the fans will leap on an error like the last Mountain Dew. (laughs) If you're an old school gamer returning to the fold, a young gamer who wonders what the Greybeards are on about or just curious about role-playing in general, the RFI podcast is a fantastic place to turn. Grab your graph paper and mechanical pencil and sit down to the DMs. They promise no TPKs in this podcast. He says, on a personal note, I said when I started buying the old books as a collector, I had no interest in playing again. After listening to RFI podcasts, I can't stop hearing the dice tumbling in my head. Maybe time to fill my book bag with the rules and hit the table in the basement. Well, that's awesome. I love when we get reviews like that, not just about the show, but just getting people back in the, in the, in the gaming. And that just, I think that just shows, you know, I guess we're doing our job in a way, you know, when people stumble upon it and they're like, wow, I want to start playing again. Mm. Cause these guys are excited about it too. Mm-hmm. So thanks a lot, Dave, the average, and you're not average dude. No, you're, you're cool. kind of above the rest. Dave, the cool, Dave, the cool. Yeah. I like that. Dave, the cool. Yes. Well, at least it's better than, you know, than some other names we've come up with. So Yeah. <laughs> So anyway, uh, thanks. Yeah, the cool. We're gonna call him just the cool to be short. Cool, Dave. There you go. Cool. Uh, you can go right to iTunes and give us a review. We'll read it on the air, of course, as usual. Mm-hmm. So Nick, uh, tell us what happened. You went around camping last time we had the show. Yeah, I went camping for uh, for Mother's Day, and my wife wanted to go camping that weekend, so we did, and uh, <laughs> had a had a real good time. Um, I, I told my wife about that. She's like, his wife wanted to go where? <laughs> that's this is it's like you know it's her way to get away from it all, just to relax. And of course, I did my my awesome ribs. For, oh, for everybody. I keep so. missing those, Nick. Every time I come towards Gen Con, you're supposed to make them, and I forget to ask you. I know. I, I'll give you the recipe. It's really easy. Or you come by, I'll make them. Okay. But, uh, yeah, I had a real good, enjoyable time. And um, in that time, we also did my my friend Jeff, his campaign. Where it's kind of, I don't know if I mentioned this before, but it's kind of like a, it's a real cool take on, like, I guess you'd call it Game of Thrones kind of what thing going on so it's really a humanocentric kind of world there's a lot of intrigue and 
and plot twists and stuff going on. So that's been going on. That's pretty cool. And uh, that's pretty much it. Cool. Yeah, my game was uh, this weekend, finally. Yay! And, uh, yeah, we picked up. We got... We had... The, the group was narrowed down to about uh, five players. Uh, had kicked one person out for doing two no-shows and signing up to the games. Uh, another person went on an internship for about another half a year, and then another person just didn't show, so we just kind of wrote them off. And then all of a sudden, we're about to play, and two players show up to my game this week from the other group that we have in our in our little system going on. Remember I spoke how we have two groups now, Nick? Oh, uh, yes, yeah. yes. So they showed up and they're like, oh, can we join your group? I'm like, yeah, sure. So they basically they walked out of the other group because there was a discrepancy with the other DM. Uh-oh. Yeah. And uh, I've, I've asked them. They said it's cool to talk about it. So basically what happened is they were using a charm person spell. Mm-hmm. And let me talk about this one second. The, the player who was using it hadn't played in probably 20 years, he said. He was just coming back to the game, which is cool. Right. And the other guy who followed along with him has never played role-playing games or this edition at all. So he just kind of followed along. So they used Charm Person on a bugbear and another creature. Okay. And they said to DM, is it okay if we do this like this? And he said, yeah, 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 sure. (laughs) So I guess the DM, after them playing it and using these two creatures as attack dogs and everything and and kind of breaking everything in the adventure, he read it during the week and decided, uh, no. So he came back this past weekend with this whole written-out speech about how players should know the rules, and it's not his job to know the rules. And whoa, whoa, yeah, really? Yeah, yeah, it's not his job to know the rules, and they shouldn't be trying to put something past him. And for that, he's not being malicious, but he's going to punish the players by not giving them any experience and taking everything away from them from last adventure, including the creatures. And wow. top on that, Nick. The charm person spell was no longer allowed in his world or adventures anymore. Whoa. Yeah. Really? Exactly. He had a whole thing written out and he read to the group. That. Wow. Had, wow. Hello, ego. Yeah. And this is also the same DM in the same group that took the paladin's powers away because the paladin slit the throat of a hobgoblin they captured. And the hobgoblin wouldn't answer any questions. So instead of just letting him live, he killed it. Okay. He said that was a dishonorable kill, and now you lost all your powers. Oh, oh my gosh. Wow. I don't know yeah. who this guy is, but... He doesn't really... I. Didn't think it sounds that. like a lot of just DM fiat and big ego and what I say goes, and you can't admit when he made a mistake. Yeah, and they came over, and they were just like, can we play? And I was like, yeah, and they told me what happened. I was like, oh, wow, yeah. <laughs> you won't find any of that here. <laughs> You know, that's funny um, that you mentioned that, though, because there was a thread somewhere. I think it was on Dragon's Foot. It's like, and it's a, I think it's about, like, if a DM, if you make a mistake, do you, fe- you, you fess up to it? And yeah. Yes, you do. You know, a DM makes a mistake, and players make mistakes, too. You know, what, you said that one guy hasn't played for 20 years, other guy not at all. Mm-hmm. And you know what? You make mistakes. Just all, you had, all he had to do was say, hey, okay, this is what the rule is. You know, I should, I should have known it. You guys should have known it. Maybe read up a little more. Okay, we'll move on. Enough yeah. said. Done and done. Yeah, you know? he, t- he took everything away from them. Okay, he should have just said, listen, I screwed up. So let's just retcon it that the creatures ran away in the night. I'm sorry. I made a mistake. It's what I, sh- I thought you were using Charm Monster, which should have been used, not Charm mm-hmm. Person. We read it wrong. 
moving forward, let's just move on with this. And they probably would have just been like, oh, okay, cool. Right, but no, he had to write out a whole thing. And- a whole thing, a whole speech he had to read and tell them how the game is supposed to be played and, and what adventures are not out to pick up. See, there apparently these guys were in the in the group were taking weapons from monsters or uh-huh. orcs or whatever, collecting them and selling them for gold. Or okay, silver. what's the problem with that? Because they were using it to gain XP as well. Okay. Which he has a problem with apparently as well. So I said, then just don't give it gold for XP then, or XP for gold. Yeah. Because he's like, oh, you're not supposed to be doing that. Adventurers are out to find adventure, and they're not out to fight and kill everything. Then what's the point of being an adventurer then? <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, the kind of the whole thing, I mean, the basics is this. Go into a dungeon, kill monster, taste Take stuff, rinse, repeat. Yeah, it, magic you know? <laughs> users are, are out to find knowledge, not go blast everything with every spell they have. Well, yeah, they're out to find knowledge, but they're out to... And also hold. blast the crap out of everything yeah. that gets in their way, too. <laughs> blast things that get in their way to see how well their magic works. I mean, come on. Yeah. So there's a little bit of a problem going on over there. <laughs> yeah, I, that that's too bad. I, I You know, it makes kind of... <laughs> I don't know if it makes me sad. It makes me a little... Uh, irritate when you ha- when you hear about guys uh, you know DMs like that who are just you know fess up to their mistakes and and if someone makes a mistake as far as a player you know you just kind of let it roll off and move on you know just <sighs> and, and, and the thing that really ticked me off is that there was a brand new guy there just playing for like the second time in his life yeah and he gets this whole big spiel from this the little Napoleon complex guy. Right, and you're, he's probably thinking, is this normal? Is this what normally happens? Yeah, and then the guy, I'm thinking to myself, this poor guy's going to walk away. I'm never coming back. Screw yeah. this game. Came to my group. He played. He rolled up a thief for his first time. He played the character excellent. I mean, this guy played better than I've seen veterans play. So, Well, they, they, well luckily this guy stayed on, the new player, and yeah. hopefully they'll, uh, I'm sure they're going to have a good time in your group. Yeah, and and the other guy who came over as well hadn't played in 20 years. He did a wonderful job as well, so I couldn't see where there was a problem except with the DM himself. So, Yeah, so that's that. Well, what are we going to do? All right, let's head into Sage Advice. Sage Advice. Okay, Sage Advice, Sage Advice, Sage Advice. Guess what, Nick? Uh, let me think. We got another voicemail from DM Kojo. Oh, man, you're doing well. That's what is that like? Ten shows in a row now? Yeah, he's kind of set a trend. I appreciate it. Let's I think see. we all do. <laughs> Let's take a mute and listen to DM Kojo. Hey guys, DM Kojo here. Just was uh, listening to the latest episode and your discussion of critical hit. I'd call in and just. Uh, Give my perspective on critical hits, because it is a house rule, and everybody seems to do it a different way. Just uh, my two cents on it. The uh, way I handle it is uh, natural 20 automatically scores max damage for whatever the weapon is. Then I do do the confirming or backing the critical hit that you guys seem to hate. Um, my reasoning for that is that a natural 20 comes up 5% of the time, and that just seems, considering the types of bad things that can happen, I just don't think that a 
think that's too frequent to be able to lop off a limb or automatically decapitate somebody or something like that. So I do have my players then roll another 20 if they get a 16 to 20, so basically an additional 0.5% chance, then they actually get the full effect of the critical hit. And then I roll on the good hits and bad misses table from Dragon 39. And uh, depending on weapon type and such, and that uh, what they get on that table is what they get. Um, so, you know, just my my take on it, fumbles, same way. A one is not an automatic fumble necessarily. Uh, they have to then roll again. If it's a one to a five, then then the fumble, I roll on the fumble table. So that's how I handle it. Uh, lots of ways to handle it, I know. And, uh, you know, obviously, I'll rule it the way you want. But uh, good, good work. Keep up the good work. And uh, that's it for now. See ya. Well, what do you think, Nick? Hey, that, if that works for him, that's great. N- not much for me. I, I try to keep it as simple as possible. I don't want to refer to too many charts and stuff. Yeah. I think probably because of my, my experience with Hackmaster with the critical hits and fumbles tables are very complex. <laughs> so when it came to my AD&D game, I just keep, keep it as simple as possible. It's like natural 20, double damage. You know, or, you know I basically, you know have them roll the damage dice twice. So yeah. that's how I do it. And as far as like him saying that 5% is too much, I hate to do this, but, you know, put in historical accuracy into a fantasy game. I know that's crazy and all, <gasps> but <laughs> looking at like, for example, medieval warfare, there was a lot of limbs lost and lots of lost hands and legs and what have you. It probably occurred more than 5% of the time when you're talking about actual like armed combat. I mean, yeah, lots of decapitations, lots of lost limbs. So <laughs> it was probably even more than 5%. Lots of mass hysteria, cats and yes. dogs. Sorry, <laughs> cats, cats and dogs living together, mass hysteria. Yeah. But you know that's okay. I mean, if that's what DM Kojo likes and that's what he wants to use in the game, by all means, use it. I mean, that's cool. Definitely, we don't want to tell DM Kojo what to do because he won't. He'll get mad at us again. So yeah, I don't want to say no to the guy. You know, hey, that's cool. <laughs> anyway, thanks, DM Kojo. As always, give us a call anytime. We love listening to your voicemails. Five seven zero. Eight six five forty two ten. The hotline. The hotline. Where Nick is standing by. No, he's not. Oh, don't. I have Cobalt standing by this week. How about Christopher Walken standing by? No, Christopher is out. He's <laughs> gone. Not so. Okay, so we wow. can. <laughs> okay, Christopher, go away. Uh, <laughs> hey. We got two emails coming in going to RFI staff at gmail.com. The first one comes from J, uh, J, sorry, Jeff T, who, who is actually from my group. We oh. call him OJ, the original Jeff, because we have two Jeffs in our group, so he's OJ. Okay. Hello, RFI hosts. I recently received a copy of Lathan's Gold from a good friend on my birthday. <laughs> Looking at this closer, I realized that this was not only a cool module, but was a solo adventure as well. 
Maybe this would be a good topic for one of your podcasts. I find myself wanting to play a lot more than once every couple of days, every couple of weeks, excuse me. And these solo modules may be what I'm looking for when my group is not meeting. What other solo adventures would you guys recommend? Thank you for what you do, and may you always roll 20s, Jeff T. That was me. I gave him Latham's Gold, like a, huh. a mint copy and a sealed copy for Latham's Gold. Nice. Yeah, for his birthday. I, I grabbed him a whole bunch of like Roll-Aid stuff and modules for his birthday. Uh, Gosh, like solo adventures? I know there was a lot in basic. There was a lot um, looking right now. Well, there was Midnight... Uh, at Dagger Alley for for AD&D. Yeah. I don't know if it's available for download on the uh Classics D&D D&D Classics website. Uh but uh I remember that one there was Maze of the Ridley Minotaur. I I remember from uh mm-hmm. from Basic. So Yeah, there was there was I know there was was it X Solo? Then there was XL Solo or something. Mm-hmm. There was a bunch, and there was also one for. Was it one for the B series? No, there was no B series. Uh, it was B Solo. Yeah, for, that's it. Okay. I think that was Midnight at Dagger Alley. Uh, not okay. Midnight at Dagger Alley, but Maze of the Ridley Minotaur. Quick browse through the Dungeon Index for Dungeon Magazines. Gives us two, only two, surprisingly, solo adventures for first edition. But one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine for second edition. Yeah. So. Yeah, I think Wizards Challenge, Clerics Challenge, those are all so- the the Challenge series. I believe were all solos. Yeah, they were. And there are a few new solo adventures out there for out in the Ozark community. Have been out recently. I don't remember any off the top of my head. But um, if I remember at Pace Setter Games, oh, did uh, okay. one fellow does Pace Setter. Uh-huh. I believe he's got one solo adventure. It's called uh, Grave of the Green Flame. Mm-hmm. And that one's available. So just to give you an idea what's out there. I'm actually looking at the Dungeon Index, and uh, remember Vince Garcia from the last one we looked at for Dungeon? Yeah. He yeah. actually wrote one of the solos. Oh, okay, cool. Issue number nine, The Dingy's Ring. So first one, and the other one is The Scepter of the Underworld, but that's for 12th level solo. That's a pretty big solo. Hmm. Wow, yeah. So, yeah, there's there's a few out there. You could just do a quick search on on the web, and like I said, Paysetter's got that one. I think there's a few other by some other publishers I can't. Can't quite, I think Ex- Expedious Retreat Press might have some too, so I don't. I'm looking up on their website, on their books. And of course, there's also those books that Jason told us a long time ago about, uh, the, like the Lone Wolf books. I think they were. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to get those books up here. I can't remember the names of them offhand. Yeah, there's. Well, you could check out Expeditious Retreat Press. Or um, like I said, Paysetter Games. We'll put. I guess we can put those in the uh, in the show notes, and you can look them up, see what they have for for maybe some new solo adventures out there. And I'm sure there's a bunch of free stuff out there too if you go to s- certain websites. Osric so, didn't have their own, did they? No. Not that I recall. I don't I mean, know. I was wondering. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I can't seem to find the books right now. Amazon's loading up real slow for me. So. Anyway. 
There, there you have it. Well, well, how about our our our, our oh, warlock yeah. here? He could fix the internet now. Or, he could fix the or internet. Web warlock could yes. fix it. Exactly. We'll fix it. What do you have Go to say, it. Sam? You have any suggestions for him? For I'm sorry. For solo Just, adventures. Yeah. There we go. I'm back. I'm back off of mute now. <laughs> okay, you were on mute the whole time. Okay, <laughs> that's what we were worried about. Uh, so, do you have any idea for any solo adventures for Jeff who wrote it? The one I only remember. The only one I remember, um, even remotely using. And I, I'll be honest with you, I didn't care for solo adventures, mm. but I remember the B solo one. Yeah, and yeah. there was the one which came. I don't remember if that was B solo one or one of the expert ones came with the sort of red piece of cellophane that you had to yeah, cut. Yeah, that was that Midnight looked... at Dagger Alley. Yeah. That was, yeah. For, that was for AD&D. Yeah, I thought, uh, what's the difference? And the whole time I was doing it, I kept thinking to myself, what's the difference between this and one of those choose-your-own-quest adventure books? Or yeah. what, was the, what was the one game that was heavy into... Um, Doing the solo adventures. Tunnels and Trolls, I think, was really interesting. Tunnels and Trolls had Tunnels and Trolls had quite a few, and there was a yeah. there were a couple other games back in the eighties. I know White Dwarf used to cover quite a few of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, those books are actually uh, other than the Lone Wolf book. Uh, there is the Destiny Quest books by uh, Michael J. Ward, and there's the Fabled Lands book as well by Jamie Thompson. Those are uh, pretty good solo type adventure mm-hmm. books. They're more of a like choose your own adventure, but it's still kind of cool. Those books. I remember those. Those are a great little thing just to have around with oh, you. Yeah. It's like, well, I can't play D and D, but I got this paperback that's almost really close to it. It's almost <laughs> as good, yeah. Almost as good. Almost. Get your game and fix in a way. All right. So thanks, Jeff. See you in the group. Uh, we got uh, another email coming from DM Turco. He's just commenting on our last show that we did about monsters and monster classes. Playing those. Mm-hmm. Just listen to your show about monsters and humanoids as PCs. He wanted to write in and say, my girlfriend plays a half-human, half-squirrel in an otherwise normal campaign world. It's the only way I can get her to agree to play. As far as stats and abilities, I just rolled it up as an elven thief and used that as a basis for her character, DM Turco. So there you go. There's another one. Something else you can use. Half-squirrel. Half-human, half-squirrel. Uh-huh. Okay. <laughs> Why not? Whatever works, man. <laughs> It's like the Marvel comic Squirrel Girl. There you yeah, go. Yeah, there you go. Bingo. Perfect. You hit it. Nailhead yep. hit it. Have you ever used that in your game, Tim, playing monsters as races? Or... Uh, monsters as You know, I let my, I let my son have, uh, during back when we were doing some more you know, 3.0, mm-hmm. I let him roll up a, a kobold <laughs> because he loved dragons, and he thought kobolds were like little humanoid dragons. Mm-hmm. So he had this kobold named Horky. That he used, and I thought, eh, you know what? I'll just play him as a psychotic half. I'll just let him play him as a psychotic halfling, and it worked out fine. Cool. But that's that's about as close as I've I've ever got. I'm, I'm going to use oh, yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> so we we did that, and uh, I you know I have to admit I'm I'm fairly when it comes to races I I generally stick with human myself. Yeah, me as well. Anyway, so, uh, cool. Thanks, Jim Turco. RFISTAFF at gmail.com, 570-865-4210. That's the hotline where we have things standing by to answer your... We'll have shadows. Yeah, that's it. A shadow is going to answer the phone. So, there you go. 
So let's uh, roll into the vault. <gasps> the Blackstone's vault now. He's back. Blackstone's vault is back. By popular demand. Go ahead, Blackstone. Blackstone's vault. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another long-awaited episode of Blackstone Blackstone's Vault. So sorry I've been away for so long, but this is your host, Blackstone. And in this podcast uh, episode, I will be reviewing a new adventure that just came out in the past few years. And in the, some of the future shows, I'm going to be doing mostly adventures that have been done in the recent past, just in the past few years, stuff that really caught my eye that you can either uh, modify to AD&D or whatever D&D game you're playing and uh, use them in a current campaign. So some new stuff compared to the old stuff that I reviewed, which is enjoyable, but this is going to be mostly new adventures, new modules that are out there. And the first new module that I'm going to review is something that really caught my eye, and I just had to do a review on this, and this is module ASE1. The Anomalous Subsurface Environment. And this is by Patrick Wetmore through, I guess you would call his publishing company Henchman Abuse. And it was published back in 2011, so just in the past few years. And this is part of a series, the ASE series. And the first, um, this first of the series is for levels 1 to 2. And about the adventure, very, very unique. It is set on Earth our Earth, but a cataclysm happened. And 4,000 years later, the world has been reborn. No one knows what happened with this cataclysm. Could have been a nuclear war, could have been a comet hitting the Earth, whatever it was. But 4,000 years later, the Earth is different and new. Yes, there are dwarves. Yes, there are halflings. There are elves, but there are other races out there. And you have... Savagery, sorcery, and super science. Yes, folks, if you are familiar with the old cartoon series Thunder the Barbarian, if you are familiar with Jack Vance's Dying Earth series, if you dig that post-apocalyptic dark future kind of sorcery and super science kind of thing, this is really up your alley. And I'm really, really excited about this. Now, as far as NPCs, they're just too numerous to mention. I think it's really easy to start. Let's talk about the actual mini-campaign that this anomalous subsurface environment encompasses. What you have is what I call the, what is called the Land of 1,000 Towers. Now, there is one city called the City of Denethix. And this City of Denethix, like other cities, are ruled by mad... Uh, wizards. Uh, the other cities, other towns might be ruled by wizards that have slavery, dark cults. Some of the people are used for food. So this is pretty dark future stuff, folks. Not for the timid and weak of heart. So the city of Denethix is ruled by a relatively benevolent wizard who hasn't been seen in a very long time. But the city of Denethix is pretty well uh, detailed in the book, as I said, there are, let's see, there are the Street of Temples. There's the Street of Upright Living. 
the street of worthy servitude. Now, there's a good map, a fairly decent map with all little buildings and everything, and it has uh, just a few areas that are pointed out on the map of where the main temples are, where uh, certain palaces are, where the river is. Everything else needs to be detailed by the dungeon master, and that's okay. Because there's enough here to, to really whet your appetite. Now, further on about the city is you have the different factions inside the city. You have the uh, Exalted and Chosen Brethren, which is basically the city council. You have the Unyielding Fist, which are the enforcers of the law. You have the Star Courts, which is obviously the judicial system. You have the uh, Society of the Luminous Spark, which are a group of secretive abolitionists who are trying to fight for freedom for all slaves. And you also have one called the Church of Starry Wisdom, which is a church devoted to the crawling chaos himself, Narlothotep. Yes, there are Cthulhu-type creatures in this campaign. So if you like that sort of stuff, you go right at it. It's really, really cool in that respect. Um, now, talking about like the Church of Starry Wisdom, I want to talk a brief mention about religion in this campaign. Um, for clerics, this is going to be a lot different than other ones. Uh, the gods aren't what they seem. And I'm just going to leave it at that. I don't want to give away too much. I think it would be much more enjoyable if you read about it yourself. You get this. I highly recommend that. But there's also some cult known as the cult of science. And these are cult worshippers who literally worship at the altar of science. They worship science as a literal god. They believe science isn't just a word. It's a name of a god. So that's very, very interesting in this campaign. Now let's get into the outlying areas outside of the city of Denethix. You have the, as the aforementioned Land of 1000 Towers, you have a place called the Worthless North, where your barbarian tribes come out of. You have the Forbidden Vale, which I quote, has rumors of crystalline trees and multidimensional apes that stalk between the glittering trunks. You also have a place called the Ceratopian Plains, where various types of herd animals like cattle, bison, protoceratops, and triceratops roam. So yes, there are dinosaurs in this campaign world. So that's just a few ideas on some of the places that are outside in the area, the region of the Land of 1000 Towers. And what I like is they're just brief, maybe one or two paragraphs detailing each area. And it's really up to the DM, again, to flesh it out. But there's enough here to really get your imagination going. And I think that's really good. I, in in many respects, there was kind of like a, in the writing, is a very World of Greyhawk folio setting kind of vibe here when I when I read through this. So really enjoyed in that in that respect. Now, going beyond that, I want to talk about some of the races. You have dwarves, elves, humans, uh, and halflings. Particularly about the dwarves, elves, and humans, they're a little bit, or dwarves, elves, and halflings, they're a little bit different than your normal fantasy campaign setting of, of these demi-humans. 
they have where what's not really infravision, it's called wide spectrum vision, which they can look at something called sick light, which is really a gamma rays. And they can unidentify they could identify what is known as sick rocks, which is you know plutonium or uranium. But they call it sick rock and it gives off the sick light. So it makes people sick, you know, basically get radiation poisoning. Another thing are the goblins. And the goblins are uh, more of a degenerate uh, creature than in other fantasy campaign settings because they re reproduce the, the goblins in this world reproduce by having a, like a spore or growth come off their body. They stick it somewhere and they smear like feces and other excrement along the thing and it grows and it, it just becomes another goblin. So... <laughs> And the goblins are ruled by hive minds, which are, when I understand, are like giant brains that came from a faraway planet. So, yeah, the goblins are a lot different than other places. So, yeah, that's just a little bit about the races of the uh, world that the anomalous subsurface environment, which bears in mind, I bear in mind, yes, there I am getting to the actual dungeon itself, the anomalous subsurface environment, which is in itself huge. It is a very big level. The first level is more than enough to get your players um, satisfied. It is a mega dungeon, by all means. And this mega dungeon, how it first came about was when thousands of years ago when this cataclysm happened before that there was a mining company that found this weird place that they dubbed the anomalous subsurface environment and they were able to conduct experiments in this place that they couldn't do any place else and they dug out ta caverns and tunnels and uh and passages and uh, they added to this place and eventually the place got locked down people got stuck there other creatures were in there over the thousands of years. And there's a nice little introductory way on how the adventuring party is to find a map to get to what is essentially the gatehouse on how to get to the anomalous subsurface environment. So they go to a lair of the Mokhtars. Mokhtars are one of the races which... It's really a, uh, in this game world, a version of the, the mocks like Ookla the Mock from Thundar the Barbarian fame. They're kind of like that. They don't look as, they kind of look like lion men, basically. But they're called Mokhtars. They can't talk. They speak in growls, grunts, howls, and what have you, just like Ookla did. So we go to the Mokhtar lair. You might have to find them, fight them. You find the map to go to Mount Rendon, where the gatehouse, and then eventually the anomalous subsurface environment is. So you go to the gatehouse area. There are your standard green slimes. There are a few other wandering monsters that will be in like a bear. But there's also some other new things like, uh, as far as new monsters, like automatons. And there's lesser and greater automatons. They're basically robots, in a way. You also have radioactive sturges. Yeah, sturges that are radioactive, yellow molds, 
Uh, some other, uh, another new monster is a dust ghost. So, and by the way, there are lots of new monsters in this adventure. And when you're, you're going through this, basically, this gatehouse area is um, like you're going through a laboratory in a way. You're going through these halls that are made of uh, n- these new materials like um, argonium, which is a kind of a plastic uh, material infused with another type of uh, material called protonium, which protonium is a type of metal that could only be produced in the anomalous subsurface environment. So you have these two different materials, and various armors and weapons can be produced from these things, and they have a a bonus value associated with them. And uh, they also radiate magic when you you, uh, create things with them. So you're going through all these different offices. Um, you eventually get to an access shaft so we can get to the lower levels. And that's when you get to the entrance of the dungeon. <laughs> and the entrance of the dungeon is rather interesting because uh, it's basically an elevator. And once you take it, take the elevator down, what happens on the outside, and the players don't know this, but outside, automated machinery has begun excavating entrances to the deeper levels of the dungeon, and giant searchlights are rising from the overturned soil to illuminate the sky. So when they go into the dungeon, it's been announced to the whole world. Now, the interesting thing about this dungeon is that not only is it huge and well laid out, but there are factions within inside this dungeon that you might have to, that the players may be able to play off against each other like uh, there's in the first level here, you have three different factions. You have the Screech Men, which are basically degenerate humans that all they do is yell and screech really high because they're blind, and that's how they do their echolocation with this screeching. You have goblins, and you also have Morlocks. If you're familiar with the uh, old uh, movie and the book, The Time Machine, yes, these are those Morlocks. So, you go into these various, and and, and it's just so big. It's so huge. I am really amazed with it, and very well laid out. So, you're going against the Screechmen. You're going against uh, a whole bunch of new monsters, uh, Jawheads, which are really nasty. They're uh, black, uh, four-legged creature that have basically four jaws and they are like something out of a person's nice nightmare i'm sorry excuse me six legged <laughs> and four couldn't be enough so you have those creatures here uh there's so much stuff to the first level i just can't even begin to tell you all the different new and innovative things that are in the first level i think the best way to to describe this to you is that there, there are some interesting traps, there are some interesting new monsters, there are some interesting and fascinating new magic items and riddles. Uh, there's just a little bit of everything in here that um, I kind of began to describe in just one, uh, one review. But suffice to say... This is something 
I think would be a really great kickoff to a whole new and innovative campaign setting for for some for a DM who likes myself who who's been craving for something new and original in uh, in a campaign world. And I think this really fits the bill. Again, um, just to kind of give an idea, like some of the new monsters, you have the the automatons. You have greater and lesser ones. You also have uh, blade zombies, which are zombies that have basically dagger blades sticking out of their hands and their eyes. You have uh, corpse jellies, which are jellies, which uh, a jelly-type creature which <laughs> attaches itself to skeletons. Um, there are uh, the dust ghosts, giant earwigs, goblin spiders. Uh, you have the Mokhtar, as I told uh, you before. Then there's this one I thought was really interesting, the Sasquatch, Sasquatch Tron, which is a Bigfoot with a crab claw arm and a bulbous head that looks like it has like electronics in it. So it's really <laughs> interesting. Uh, and and uh, just some really cool stuff in here in my opinion so i am i am no i'm kind of stumbling over myself because i think this is such a fascinating adventure and i cannot wait to start another campaign with this um, the only thing i i guess i think that wouldn't be so good for anybody is if you're not if you don't like anything beyond what we consider quote unquote normal D. now this adventure and the subsequent adventures have been written for a labyrinth lord. So converting it over to D&D or AD&D will not be much of a problem. I did maybe like two pages of notes to convert it over to Advanced Dungeons & Dragons. So that'll be a real piece of cake. So in my opinion, this is probably the coolest thing I have seen in years. And it's come out of the old school renaissance. As far as where you can find it, you can find it on Lulu. You can print it on either print on demand or PDF. So you have both ways that you can get this. Or you can go to henchmanabuse.blogspot.com and go there and see if there's any other updates. Now, what's next after this is ASE 2 3. There's the second and third levels of the anomalous subsurface environment. And from what I can tell, there are going to be more. I think there's going to be at least six, maybe seven levels after it's all said and done. And AS2-3 is out. It just came out just in the past few months. So that'll be my next review. So that was my review on ASE1, Anomalous Subsurface Environment, again by Patrick Wetmore for the ASE series. And it's for first and second level characters. And I hope you guys go out and buy this. Either get the printing copy or get the PDF copy. I am just so blown away by this. If you want to have the un, the, the Dying Earth uh, series kind of come to life with some Thundar the Barbarian in there, thrown in there with some lasers. And yes, there are laser weapons and there are... Um, uh, six guns and there are machine guns in this, but it's all built well balanced and well put into the whole campaign world. Uh, I just think this is probably the most innovative and fun things that's come out of the old school Renaissance. 
since it really started. So again, this is Blackstone signing off, and may all your hits be crits. Well, what'd you guys think of that? <laughs> Stunk. Oh, no, well, hey. <laughs> no. Awesome to I, hear. I'm telling you, that adventure mini campaign, that whole thing, awesome, awesome stuff. Really is. Hmm. That anomalous subsurface environment. Gotta hmm. look it up. It's it's still one of the, some of the coolest stuff I've ever seen out there. So, Nick, I've been noticing that uh, the Blackstone check and the Nick check have been going to the same house. So I don't know what you're talking about. Uh-huh. And it's both are signed in the same handwriting, Nick. What's going on there? That's a, that's a lie. Uh-huh. <laughs> okay. Blackstone's your brother, right? Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. So what yes, do we got? he's my evil twin. Yeah. <laughs> so what do we got in Table Manners this week? All right. In Table Manners this week, we are going to talk about the witch. Butter. She's a witch. Yay. We're mostly going to be focusing on the Rolaids Witches Supplement 747, which is made by Mayfair. Yay. Yep. Here in Chicago. Chicago. Yeah. Yep. Uh, yeah. Henceforth, we have the Master of Witches, or Warlocks, <laughs> or whatever you want Something to call Something like that. More witches! Oh. Yeah, more witches, that's right. First, we'll exactly. get out of the way. Witch is a general term for male and female, and Warlock, obviously, is really kind of just calling someone a liar or someone that breaks promises. Mm-hmm. How it got turned into the term for using a male witch, I don't know that. Maybe you can help us with that, Tim. The... <laughs> uh, the... the the word, the term warlock came from the old Scottish word uh, verloga, mm-hmm. and it just sort of got confabulated with witch as being a male witch, though, like you said, a, a male witch is actually a witch. Mm-hmm. Um, I I have a sort of a schizophrenic <laughs> viewpoint on uh, warlock. Sometimes I like using it, other times I don't. I did the uh, I did a, a second edition netbook for witches back when I was, you know, web warlock. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, no, no, don't do it. It's like insulting. You don't, you never say that. But then I've got a new book coming up where I'm actually making a difference between a witch and a warlock. And really the difference is, is mechanically speaking, do you use wisdom as your primary attribute or do you use intelligence? Right. Where, you know, a, a warlock is kind of a witch that has stolen all their ideas and then, gone off to do their own thing Hmm. without, you know, necessarily, quote-unquote, the baggage of the religious aspects. Hmm. And that way I'm sort of having my cake and eating it too. (laughs) So I I still get to do both. And, you know, I've I've had a couple books out before about it, and then I always get these emails from people like, oh, but I want to play a warlock. I'm like, all right. When you when you do your character sheet, instead of writing witch, write warlock, and you'll be good. And then if you want to play him evil, the part where it says alignment, put evil, and then you're great. But, you know, I've gotten that enough times where I thought, all right, fine, I'll put it in there and we'll see. And then, of course, I'll do that, and somebody will say, oh, but you know that that's actually not the real term for a male witch. Yeah, uh, I, I know, but that's okay. Uh, I, don't, uh, I don't necessarily believe that I have to keep... Uh, keep the same opinion on these things all the time. I've been doing this for a little bit, I guess. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, al- I'm allowed to change my mind every so often. 
Yeah, I remember when I was uh, younger playing the game and those warlock movies came out. I was like, oh, I want to be like the warlock guy. So I was yeah. always searching and looking for warlock stuff. And then it was always witch, 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 witch. Yeah. And I was like, all oh, right, I guess, you know, whatever. Now, apparently they, they, they uh, brought the term in, I guess, in third, no, fourth edition, right? It was official, maybe? They brought it in? I There's think. an official warlock class in fourth edition. Yeah, that's it, okay. And it's not. A, it's actually not a bad class. Um, they had brought in a. There was a, later in the third edition. There was a warlock class, and the whole idea was: is this is somebody who, uh, you know, sells off pieces of their soul so that they can get power, which is a neat idea. Something you never would have seen, you know, under the second edition AD and D. Oh no, uh, No, you know, they completely would never have done that. Um, and the class was very popular. Uh, I guess. I mean, I don't ever remember playing it in third edition myself. Mm. So when they brought it in for fourth, it was one of the core classes. Yeah. You know, it was in the very first you know player's handbook. Yeah. And it's kind of a neat class. They brought they have a witch now too, which is that. what um, what amounts to a subclass of the wizard, which I'm not thrilled about. But you know, it, dating all the way back to the uh, you know the those player's handbook supplements like the complete wizard's handbook for second edition there was a witch class in that as well Well, and it was just it was just a uh, you know it was a kit what they used to call it back then for the uh, second edition wizard yeah back when they were writing anything under the sun and publishing it back then yes i do recall that Of course, I bought it. I mean, <laughs> the, we like we complain that they do this stuff, but yet you know the, I, I was right there. Oh yeah, I gotta have that. Like rats at a feeder bar, you know. Exactly. <laughs> so reading through this book, we'll go over some just an overall impressions yeah. of this book. I know Tim, you've had this book and probably you know slept under your pillow or something at one point, but um, I have to say, reading through this book, it, I don't know if I really liked it because it was kind of stereotypical for a lot of things I've noticed. I know it's not supposed to be, but mm-hmm. it's like they took a stereotypical point of view and just went, that's what it is. Well, yeah. Now, I, I generally speaking, I like Mayfair. I like the products. I, I mean, they were responsible for second edition Chill, which I absolutely mm-hmm. adore, you know, the mm-hmm. game Chill. And when I when this came out, I remember grabbing it right away. <laughs> I bet. And <laughs> it, I see what you're saying about being it's either it being stereotypical. Uh, it's very stereotypical for what you know the late '80s, early '90s, mm-hmm. for what we, you know what we're thinking of. I mean, we just got past the '70s the cult revival. So nowadays, I look at it, and I'm like, well, maybe it's not stereotypes. Maybe this just you know, it's just ideas writ large so that they can you know try to include everything right. you know i give them credit for tr- doing different traditions yes yeah that i, I mean, thought was kind of cool how they split up in the different chapters like that with the just starting with the, the, the i guess the ancient or classical and kind of working its way right up. exactly and i thought that was cool because you know you you do any sort of even the most cursory research on uh which is throughout the ages and you realize well we're using one word to really describe just a whole bunch of different things and maybe mm-hmm. some of them you know we would classically call wizards and maybe something is you know would would fit the more of the AD&D mold of cleric mm-hmm. but i think they did a pretty decent job with this um i wasn't thrilled with the Dorini as being a witch tradition mm. myself yeah. that, that's more the end. I- 
I thought that was odd too because mm-hmm. um, I think some of us recall. I know one of my favorite issues of Dragon. I think it was Dragon issue eighty three. It was all psionics class, and the Durini yep. are like psionicists. So I was exactly. Kind of, I thought it was kind of odd that they threw the Durini here. Was like, oh, really, as witches? I it really, yeah. You know, maybe it was my previous no, Dragon magazine it, knowledge. I just, it, you know, it it, it it seemed real off to me. And I had just actually the one and only um, original D and D game. You know, using the honest to goodness little brown books mm-hmm. was a was a Durini game where we were where we used the old psionics from Eldridge uh, Wizardry. Mm-hmm. And we were all Durini characters, and we all had psionics. So I mean, I had this character who was—he was 14 years old, and he was had a, like he ended up with a strength of 18, but a, an intelligence of like 12 or something like that. <laughs> so he was—we said—I mean, 12 is actually not that bad, but when you think about we at the time, we said, "Oh, well, he's big, dumb, and can psionic blast people hmm. all the time." Which yeah. was, you know, a game that we were trying to make more into a. This is a. This is a mental game. This is, you know, we, mm-hmm. we're going to do courtly intrigue and things like that. I'm like, great. I got a guy whose best attributes are busting people over the head with a sword. But you know, for me, that really colored how I saw what Dorini should should be, even if it isn't what they really were in Catherine Kurtz's books. Um, and then I got this. I'm like, huh. Well, that seems like it's really in left field. Yeah, um, I, everything sure else. I, everything else books. I found. Yeah, everything else I, I kind of got the feel for. I mean, the classical. Okay, that's cool. Voodoo, more of a stretch, but I get it. They threw in. They threw in the Wicca ones in there, which I thought was yeah, the neo pagan stuff. Yeah, which I thought was probably skirting a little too close to, you know, Gardarian mm-hmm. sort of witchcraft. I was like, okay, that's great. I don't see them in the D and D games much, and of course, like probably have, people have probably said the exact same thing about the stuff I've written, though, too. <laughs> so I wouldn't be surprised by that. Um, but yeah, I mean, I I enjoyed this. Uh, I enjoyed this. I uh, yeah, I still have my I still have my copy, and I go to it every so often where I think, oh well, you know, if I want ever go back to the well to get some more ideas, and think, ah, oh, well, maybe I'll take. Uh, you know, Julie Wiverenspur, one of the NPCs they have in here, and restat her mm-hmm. under one of my systems just to see what she'd look like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's how many times I've gone through this. I, I have the NPCs uh, more or less memorized, which is actually kind of sad if you think about it. <laughs> yeah, I I thought the classical entry was was very interesting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, how they how they wrote it up as far as where the tradition. You know, allegedly came from where when we're talking probably like, in the in the, in the chapter, let everybody know when they're talking about like classical witches, they're talking like, you know, ancient Greek, Assyrian, mm-hmm. Babylonian kind of uh, that part of the classical era. I, I thought they did a, I got uh, from at least from my knowledge, I thought they did a pretty good, decent job with it, kind mm-hmm. of especially with the Greek part when they're talking about the, you know, the mystery schools. Right, or, or, and, you know that was a very good part of that when the, you're talking about, especially ancient Greece and how the the the, the mystery cults, how they were, you know, a, a pretty important part of Greek society. Mm-hmm. Right, and then it got to this world of fairy thing. I thought that was kind of odd. Now they kind of jump to the 19th century here mm-hmm. and talk about you know the these these, these type of uh, you know the, the powers and 
and the, the idea witches? of you know what uh, witches were from 19th century. I thought that was a little weird. The medieval witches right. you're talking about, Nick? Well, that was that was kind of before the medieval one because they're talking oh. about fairy magic. Oh yeah, those ones. Yeah, hmm. yeah, that fairy magic section I thought was kind of odd. Um, yeah, that that's uh, definitely some more of the. Um, well, there was a a book that was out around the same time called "The Fairy Cult in uh, Western Europe," right? And they they obviously uh, you know were very influenced by that, which is fine. I mean, I, I I see what they were trying to do, but I mean, it sort of removes it from where it got started and sort of putting it back into a D and D framework. Granted, though, it's no weirder than trying to put druids in a medieval society. Right. And we got that, you know, in the first player's handbook. So, right. yeah. Now I thought they did a, a, a fairly decent job too on the, on the chapter four medieval whip, witches section. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah I was like okay. With that, with that, well, if they use uh, Artemis or Diana, Diana, the, the, di- the, 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 di- the, the Diana cults. And yeah. that's it, it I, in, a, in a way when you're talking about the the ancient tradition it kind of goes into the the medieval era I think it's kind of interesting how the, it, it is kind of a, almost an evolution if you will from the from the ancient uh from the from the classical period up into the medieval period and how it just kind of nice. you know evolved from those from those cults especially if you're talking like in real world sense when you're talking basically late Roman era up into the the early medieval period where you know, things were really chaotic in Europe and you had a mishmash of all different beliefs going on. I mean, you had early Christianity, you had the old uh, Roman gods, you also had local gods in whatever region they are in Europe, and and this was a part of that, the, all those Dianic cults that were adopted from Greece and they were brought into Roman society. So mm-hmm. I thought that was, I thought they did a pretty good, uh, a, a job on that. I did enjoy the, uh, some of the spells because each class, each tradition has their own yeah, each... set of spells. I mean, some of them mm-hmm. we've seen before, but there's some custom ones, but like this one, like the wish of Diana, really interesting how they took that. It's kind of like a limited wish spell when you only have mm-hmm. six words or less to compose the spell. Otherwise it doesn't work. Right, mm-hmm. and even if it doesn't make sense to the player, you still have to say it in the six words, and it could come true or it could work. And what is it? One d six days was it? Yeah, one d six days. It'll become mm-hmm. apparent. But every yeah, and time, it was only, and it was you know a pretty low level spell too at that. Uh, yeah, right. I believe it's what first, second level, second level. Yeah, spell. second level, I think. Uh, skill level is three. Wish of Diana. I see okay. the second. Skill two. Yeah. Oh, okay. Oh, they, they move, but uh, yeah, error. but either way, I mean, it's not you're, you're not talking about a, a you know a, a seventh level ultra reality illusionist spell or a ninth level witch. I mean, excuse me, wish spell. Right. I mean, this is something that's pretty simple, but yeah. a lot of restrictions. So ah, uh, okay. There's a yeah, book was, error. It, <laughs> so is oh, it yeah. second or third? Well, they have it on the list as skill two, but they show the actual spell as skill three. So yeah, yeah, I have it. Yeah. <laughs> That's not the only like, mistake in this. I like so. the little. Yeah, well, you know, it's it was the nineties. <laughs> yeah, you know, just kind of a side note. I was actually kind of surprised to see this that the copyright was nineteen ninety. I didn't know that they were producing Rolite stuff that late. Yeah, I thought I thought they got hit with the lawsuit a little bit before then. Was they it this? Did, 
they did get hit with the lawsuit. That was back in a, what was that? 85, 86. Yeah. Um, but they were still producing this. They were still going on. I mean, I think they hit, that's when they started putting that, you know, not authorized or the big, the big, uh, you know, banner that's on the front cover of this particular book mm-hmm. where it says, you know, no trademark or freeze with advanced Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah. Right. Game is not approved by TSR. Yeah. Problem. I mean, it, Nowadays, I mean, obviously we know a little bit more about how some of this stuff works, right. uh, or maybe I just know more because I'm older. Uh, <laughs> Rollades could have kept on going with these perfectly legally, and TSR would not have had a leg to stand on. Well, yeah, they really didn't. Yeah, yeah. I mean, of course. I mean, right around the time this this witch's book came out, that's also the same time that their big, uh, uh, you know, box set and all their books on demons came out. Yeah, and they were oh, yeah, all right. and they were all you know already pre-punched to put in your, you know, monstrous compendium three-ring binders, which I thought was pretty cool at the time. Even though reading them, you realize, yeah, these are really sort of written from the point of view of first edition, not so much second edition. Yeah, Mayfair was a big first edition type company. They didn't they oh. didn't move on with second edition. Yeah. So, and I mean, even these rules, they. At this point in time, 1990, we were we were still we were pretty much into the beginning of the second edition rules, but yep. these read more like first edition. And oh, they were just going to start with the splat books, I think, for the for the core classes too. Right at that time. Yeah. So what else do we have in this book that we like? Let's see here. Other than these wonderful, what do you think about the the elemental type witch that they had? Nick? Those were kind of interesting. I, I like the elemental, which I like the idea of, you know, pulling together different sort of elemental powers. The trouble I had with it is like, okay, so you got an elemental witch, and I, maybe this is just me. I always try to think of it as if, what if I'm a, what if I'm a, you know, a human being in this time trying to figure out what, it, what, it, what do I want to be when I grow up, and. If I want to be, how do I know what the difference between an elemental witch is and a druid? Hmm. Or how do I know the difference between what an elemental witch is and an elementalist wizard? I guess it would be, well, was I accepted to the right school or things like that? And I think in terms of playability is what was the difference? How did I know which one of these, you know, would it be, would have been, would it make more sense to have one elementalist class? Then that made more sense, and then combined all the powers of you know all the above or something, or maybe I put, was putting too much thought in it. To me, it seemed like it was a bit redundant. Yeah. To some things we had already had seen. Hmm. Yeah, I, mean, I the, also the felt Dianic, the same. Yeah. yeah, I also felt the same way about the voodoo stuff. I mean, in a, in a way, I'm like, wait, don't we have the the witch doctor anyway? Uh, kind of outlined in the DMG. Uh, mm-hmm. But, yeah. I mean, I guess what you could look at that chapter is maybe an expansion on that. You could borrow some stuff from it. I guess well, that just, would be cool. Just think you, you can use it maybe to maybe expand upon the shaman for some of the classes. Yeah. I yeah. would use it for that, at least, a voodoo class. That's what it kind of reminds me of. Well, it, with, and with, with me with the voodoo in particular, I like the voodoo class, or excuse me, the voodoo tradition. But I, I, can't, I couldn't help but thinking, it's like, well, the trouble with this is, is that voodoo in the real world is a very specific thing. And it's a mixture of two different kinds of beliefs. Why then is a voodoo tradition part of the witch and saying not part of the cleric 
Right. Mm, yeah. I mean, at this point, and that's something I've always struggled with myself. I mean, it's like, is one person's witch is another person's cleric. <laughs> one person's god is another person's demon. True. So when you live in a, when you have a world where you've got all this gods and demons and everybody fighting it out, you know, pretty much real time. How do you know what's going on? You know, who, who, why are, why is this person over here a witch, and why is this person over here a cleric, and why is this person over here a wizard? Other than, well, you know, I roll a d4, I roll a d6, and this other person rolls something different. Mm-hmm. Well, <laughs> for hit points. Well, okay, that's great. You know, from that point of view, and it's great from the point of view of me wanting to play. But I, I try to think of these things probably again too much. In terms of naturalism, how did they occur? What what happened? With the Dianic witches, I see it. With the even the classical witches, I see it. The Wicca, uh, okay, we're fudging the lines a little bit here. <laughs> Voodoo, all right, I have to really bend. I have to bend some reality to make these things work. Uh, I li- like them though, and that's. That, and I guess at the end of the day, I went with I like it. So I, I went ahead and I had some voodoo. I had some voodoo witches even in my own game. Oh, it's definitely an interesting class to take a look at for an NPC to throw in your game. I yeah. don't think I'd let a player use it, though. No, I don't think I've ever let yeah. a player use it either. I, I Mostly the fairy, the classical, um, which is, I mean, I can see where the fairy work out. I mean, if we... Sure. Uh, you can even say, well, you know, witchcraft was invented by the elves. Oh, okay, well, that's what a fairy tradition is. Okay, then why do we have a classical tradition then? Oh, well, I don't know. Maybe we... They, <laughs> they, they, they just happened that way, I guess. Well, the two things I think... I think we already said this, but I thought, again, I'm looking at it, it really stood out to me. It's like, why is it in the book? Where they tried to throw the Golden Dawn stuff in there. Um, yeah. You know, I, I'm yeah. like, why in the modern? And there was like a one on Golden Dawn, which is anybody who isn't familiar with the history of yeah. witchcraft and occultism. There was was the, the Golden Dawn uh, lodges, I believe, that were in England. And they had that sort of type of "quote unquote" witchcraft going on. It was like late nineteenth century, yeah, right. Oh, maybe the, the early twentieth century. I, I thought it was kind of out of place in that book. I, in the yeah, book it here. did. Well, I, I felt it, like this was more of kind of a Call of Cthulhu kind of thing, unless AD and D. You know, I I was I was pretty heavy during second edition. I was really really heavy into Ravenloft. Yeah. And that second edition is actually the game I say that I played the least but ran the most. Because <laughs> uh, I was in college at the time, and I didn't have you know anybody I would drag into playing, usually you know guys around the dorm rooms who either had passing knowledge or didn't know anything at all. I was like, all right, well, I'll run. That, that'd be cool. Yeah. So I was the one who was always running things. So I would use the Golden Dawn in Ravenloft because there they work. I mean... Huh. Obviously, somebody like Aleister Crowley, you know, he if he was around today, he would be, you know, a, he would be a multimedia megastar, and he could act just as evil as he did back then, and people wouldn't even blink an eye. But right. part of part of Crowley's, you know, personality was, oh, he's doing all these things, and it's, you know, it's so blasphemous and it's so bad. He was like, honestly, he was he was Kesha of the eighteen nineties. <laughs> Yeah, uh, he was, a lot of it was just—it was, was really a charlatan, exactly. You know? 
and that's cool and all, and I'm, yeah, I can see where I could use that, but, you know, as a class, okay, what is the Golden Dawn? Well, Golden Dawn is probably closer, you know, to a wizard class. What, yeah. Why is... You know, gold, what's, what's to say we can't say the Golden Dawn is not a witch tradition, but more of a this is advanced studies at some magic school. Mm-hmm. Yeah, now, tr- and, I, was, and I, was, I guess I'm sorry. <laughs> um, no, I was going to say, um, you know, to translate it in the third edition rules, Golden Dawn would have been a prestige class. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. I actually now I kind of think of it if if anything, if you want to draw anything from that chapter and maybe on the modern one, if you were going to go with a, maybe a campaign that was really heavy on wizards, mm-hmm. you know, a real, like maybe the whole party is like wizards of some variant or another. I think that would be a, a decent chapter to draw on as far as like, how would I run a wizards Academy? How would I run a, right. You know, you know, I, I at least that a, a good piece of source material maybe get an idea how to do something like that. Mm-hmm. So there we go. The one thing I got out of the Golden Dawn is, is that wh- I I remember reading this and I had read Dracula mm-hmm. uh, about three or four years prior, and I remember sort of a passing reference to the uh, Sulaman, but the the Sulamans or however you pronounce it, and I've got a cold, so I'm probably not pronouncing it any right anyway. Uh, but it was this school up in the Transylvanian Mountains where 13 you know, potential wizards would go up and learn magic from the devil, but the third, you know, one of them would have to stay behind, and the other 12 would go out into the world to cause whatever problems. And I thought, now that's a cool idea. Mm-hmm. You know, That's something you could do, and I could retrofit this into something like that. So these are wizards, but they have all this extra, you know, powers too, because they went, you know, to the evil version of Hogwarts, but we didn't know about Hogwarts <laughs> back then. Actually, that's uh, a great game, a great adventure game for like a Buffy game. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, uh, you know, it just, you've got these 12 wizards that are going around and like, well, maybe, or if you were the, if you were the characters, you know, you got you got thirteen characters going to go through. Which one of you is not going to graduate? <laughs> uh, that could be a, that could be a whole game in and of itself. Maybe something from uh, what is it, uh, Malcolm's uh, Witch Witch Girls Adventures, taken to a very extreme level. Have you seen that? Have you seen that game? I I don't know if I'm pulling that one out of thin no. air. No, I've never seen Wh- that one. No. Uh, one. One of my friends, he's got a game, Witch Girls Adventures. It's it's, it's kind of like uh, uh, it's based off of some uh, comics that he had done. Uh, and it's, uh, you know, uh, magic school, going right, to, you okay. know, you're, you're playing teenagers going to magic school. Okay. So it's kind of fun. It's, it's, I, I don't want to say it's necessarily a kid's game, but it's aimed probably more to a, a kid audience than it is, let's say, you know, Call of Cthulhu is. Mm-hmm. Hmm. That'd be kind of cool. Yeah. 13 going, which one has to do with be like them fighting for everything. Yeah. Like, get a whole hunger games thing going on. That's oh, right. Yeah. Magical Hunger Games. There you go. That'd be awesome. I know. I was I was trying to think of a way to get Hunger Games into a type of a game type, but it just I don't think it would really work. Honestly, I can't see yeah. it happening. Okay. Anytime I see Hunger Games, though, the only thing I can ever think of how it, what would work for the sort of the dystopian world is something along the lines of all flesh must be eaten. Yeah. True. Although I'm sure there's other probably better dystopia hmm. uh, games out there than that. 
Nick, you said you also have pulled out some Dragon magazines as well. Yeah, I also found that uh, there was a couple of issues of Dragon magazine uh, way back in the day that uh, mm-hmm. addressed having the witch not just as an NPC class. And there was the first issue of Dragon magazine number 43. So pretty yeah. early on in the uh, Dragon magazine run. There was an article done called The Witch, and I think it's also in Best of Dragon Volume 1. Yeah. So you could find that there. But there was also, later on, in issue 114, there was The Witch, and basically it revised the one out of Dragon in forty in Dragon right. Magazine 43. So it just kind of re- revised it, upgraded it. Um, so... I thought, and I think, again, it's only an NPC class according to the AD&D rules. Doesn't mean you shouldn't have to keep it that way, but I, 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 looking at the witch, even written in these Dragon Magazine articles, I can see why it could be just as an NPC class, because mm-hmm. it'd be pretty darn powerful. Just yeah. different mix and mixes of, you know, you're drawing from, like, magic users, druids, and, and clerics for... Uh, from the from their different spell types, and it makes a a rather interesting and I guess in the plan, hands of a player, pretty darn powerful class. Hmm. Yeah, the the dragon the dragon forty three one is interesting. Uh, I mean, like you said, obviously the the class is is really powerful compared to let's say a similarly um, leveled druid or wizard. I mean, you get you get these high secret order spells that only witches know how to use. Uh, and there's, you get, you know, the ability to use all sorts of poisons and potions and filters and things like that, which I thought was very interesting. I think actually the gem of this particular article is uh, this little sidebar really by Tom Moldvay. Yes. About the what real it, witch. Yeah. You know what it, what it should be. And he, I, I go back and I look at that every so often thinking, all right, so, it's it's a good breakdown of what he felt a witch should or shouldn't be in a D&D game, given what we know about it today. I mean, this when I don't remember when this particular issue was out. I think it was 19, 1980, November 1980. Okay, so the, very, very influenced by the Margaret Murray, you know, the witch cult in, in Western Europe. And, yeah. you know, the whole idea that there's been this continuous line of, unbroken warship, you know, handed down mother to daughter since, you know, the dawn of time, which, you know, anthropologists will say, no, not really, but this was still a very influential book at that point in time. And I'm, you know, Tom Mulvey was, you know, a bright guy and I'm pretty sure he had read the book at that point. And there was enough of what he's talking about here to leads me to believe that he had, but he still, I thought brought up some very good points about, well, how do you, how do you pull this off in a and d game? You know, what is right. it that you need to be thinking about? And I, you know, I'll, I'll be honest with you. I had a witch that I rolled up from Dragon 114. Hmm. And uh, I used her. And every time I pulled her out in a game, uh, my dungeon master would look at me. He's like, really? You're, you're, gonna, you're bringing her again? <laughs> I'm like, yes, I am. <laughs> and you're just going to have to deal. And he rolled his eyes. I'm like, uh, okay. <laughs> yep. I'm just looking at the one in Dragon 43. I, I'm looking one of the big things that the witch can do, read magic user, druid, and cleric scrolls. Yep. That's huge. Yeah. So 
like she could read Druid Scrolls with no chance of failure, Magic User and Illusionist Scrolls with only a 10% chance of spell failure. Right. Hmm. And, and bonus- she, could, she could read Cleric Scrolls, but only the spells which both Cleric and Witches may be employed. Right. I'm like, wow. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I mean, design-wise you think, well, there's no Witch Scrolls listed in the DMG at this point. Yeah. So, <laughs> at the same token, though, like, yeah, that's that's pretty powerful. You got you got one. You've got the Swiss Army knife of classes. You know, magic using classes right here. Mm-hmm. And while we're talking about balance and things like that, and on you know, powerful, let's take a look back at the Roll Age book one more time. And with each tradition, I've noticed that they put in there that the APL or the the appeal in there. Did you notice that, guys? The APL for each tradition, like how much they worshipped or did things for their gods. That's right. chance that their spells would actually work or function correctly. Mm-hmm. So I guess I was. I think that was kind of a cool way that they did to kind of balance the classes out to make them not too powerful. But I don't know if it was really fair. A hundred. If a player was playing with, I don't think it would be kind of fair to a player. Granted, it really wasn't yeah. meant for players. And you get a, it, it would also depend on how the the stickiness of the DM too. Yeah. I mean, how much are they how much are they going to make the player do this stuff? I mean, half the time we didn't even track encumbrance. Yeah, yeah. I didn't. And I'm thinking it's like, oh well, yeah, my cleric he prayed last night. Sure, sure he did. Sure. He's got that heal so well. All right, he did. So we're good to go. Hey, let's get back to you know killing monsters. Yeah, uh, my game is kind of just the, the cleric says, "Listen, this is how it's going to be. Every night, my guy prays before his watch or whatever. There, that's right. done. Whatever, done, done." I think, though, I mean, when when I I had actually, and I I've, I think I've rolled up a character for every which publication that ever came out and tried them out just to see what they were like. I I did go through all of that stuff just to see how onerous it would be on the character, mm-hmm. and in truth, it didn't turn out to be that much. No, you ended up, you still ended up with a character class that was pretty powerful. I mean, the you know with the Rollades book, the um, the experience points needed are still far less than what you need for the wizard, and you still get nine spell levels. So you get somebody who's probably closer in advancement to that of a cleric for all the benefits of having a wizard. Well, yeah, it sounds like great. It sounds like a bonus. I mean, eventually, just eyeballing eyeballing these experience points here, and you know, going back on memory, it does pick up. I think right around fifteenth level or right around thirteenth level there it starts getting to be you have to have more experience points per level than the wizard does at the same level. But at that level, who cares? Yeah. I mean, you're already throwing around, you know, seventh level witch spells and are on track to get eighth and ninth. You've already left your cleric friends behind. You can still do some minor healing. Uh, you've lost the ability to turn undead, but you've picked up other things and, you know, and re- you know, to replace that. Mm-hmm. And and at that level, you know who cares if you can turn the undead? You when you can hit them with a spell and yep. kill them. Exactly. Turn undead's cool when you're first level. Oh yeah, definitely. <laughs> oh yeah, that's why my first cleric. That's why my first class was a cleric. Fighting the probably all, class. Yeah, I get to hit things. I get to use spells, and I get to scare away the undead. What's not How the cool like? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> 
all those years of watching Hammer horror films taught me that this is the class I need to be. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so what more can we say about witches today? Hmm. Um, I don't oh. know. I, on Just a little more on the book. You know, the, the anim, animist, anim, <laughs> animistic? Animalistic, animistic, yeah. Yeah. I'm like, uh, again, another way to pull source material. I didn't really agree with, like... I thought, well, we already have the the shaman, right, in the DMG. But this is a good place to, I guess, to pull some ideas from, at least to expand maybe the the spells the shaman can use. And yeah, that that's exactly what I always did with it. Anyway, I, I don't think I ever used an animistic witch myself. Yeah, yeah I mean, it, it just seemed too much like a shaman, like you said. Right? Yeah, that, that's what they basically are. Mm-hmm. And you know, we talked about the elemental. Witches and the elemental magic. We talked about the their Durani. Well, there's one thing, we, one thing we can say about this book is that they have a nice little disclaimer on the back. Yes, <laughs> at the very <Yeah>. bottom. <laughs> Nothing in this book should be construed as representing any current practice Correct. or belief. Yes, um, That's, I don't remember this book coming out. It's weird. When I saw this, I'm like, oh wow, this is kind of new to me. I actually remember when this when this came out. I was at um, Castle Perilous in Carbondale, Illinois. Had just opened up, huh. um, and now they're one of the big you know game stores down in the area, mm-hmm. down there. And I was in college at the time, and I saw this. I'm like, how the hell did I not know something like this was coming out? <laughs> uh, and I grabbed it, and I was like, oh, this is fantastic. And I I, I still have I still have my copy of that, and of course I still have all my. Uh, Dragon app by all my dragon issues, right? You know they have the witch, and there was even there was even something all, going all the way back to Dragon issue five, where which the only interesting thing about that witch is it doesn't look all that different than what's in you know Dragon magazine forty three or one fourteen. It's the claim, and I don't know how true this is. Somebody out there probably knows. It, the truth of this or not they claim that they got the submission sent to them anonymously for the witch really for the witch the original version of the witch was sent to them for issue five anonymously and saying that if anybody wants to you know claim this you know just to let them know and then later kim mohan went in and did some editing on it i don't know if that's true you gotta you gotta go back and look at uh, dragon uh issue five Huh, I didn't even know. Cool. I didn't even know. Yeah, I didn't even know it existed either until the uh, you know the the CD archive of Dragon came out, and I saw that and I thought, oh well, that's really interesting, or it's just a way of them, you know, given the time, saying, well, we didn't write it; somebody sent it to us anonymously. Yeah, so we only get in never... trouble by certain groups, <laughs> right? Because they had, still had to be fairly sensitive to that, even you know in the. Early, you know, in the late seventies. Oh yeah, that's when all that hubbub was going on. Late seventies, right. early eighties. So, well, I guess maybe uh, Tim Cass would be the person to ask about that. He probably would know. Possibly, yeah, he, yeah, he might. might. So yeah. Let's right. see what else do we know. Well, that you know, in the for second edition, the complete Wizard's Handbook had a witch class in it. Yep. Which actually didn't read all that different than the Dragon Magazine one. Um, obviously, it was very much influenced by it, uh-huh. and Judges Guild had a book out too, but I didn't. I never really cared for their version. 
I don't I don't really like a lot of the judges guild stuff, so that's just me and my opinion. Yeah. Oh we spent we spent a lot of time in the city state of the Invincible Overlord and ended up getting, you know, nearly killed all the time. <laughs> yeah. Uh but then again my, my dungeon master at the particular time when he was playing his character was a chaotic evil assassin. So he pretty much ran his games as if he was that character. Oh, great. So there were traps everywhere and just in, insanity abounded. It was, but, you know, like I said, it was, it, it was the early 80s, and we were all like, oh, yeah, this is awesome. It was, you know, it was, like you said, it was very metal at the time. Yeah, so. we, didn't know, we didn't know any better. So <laughs> That's right. Like, how many of us did not open up the deities and Debbie God's book and say, you know, I'm going to take my character, I'm going to take Thor's hammer, I'm going to kill him? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I remember some guys, even some dudes on the bus talking, they're like, yeah, well, what we need to do is go find the rat god from the New Hun Mythos and cut off his feet. Okay, great. I, so why don't we just uh, take this time to transition into our next segment, the uh, treasure test. You have opened the treasure chest. You may choose an item. Now in treasure chest, we're going to be uh, talking about witches' curses. Oh, cool. So how how often have you done this? She turned me into a newt. <laughs> I got better. Just rewatched that movie today. Did you? Fact. Yeah, you my. didn't think there wasn't going to be a Monty Python reference in this show, did you? No. I mean, come um, on. <laughs> my, my oldest son loves that movie, and he wanted to show it to uh, one of his friends who had never seen it before. Wow. So... We we uh we had we had it on day and they were just they were laughing, you know, and I'm like yeah yeah I've, I've seen this a few thousand times myself now by yeah. now. It's always so. better watching it with a group. Yes. It oh is. yeah. So let's talk about curses. What can you tell us, Tim? Ah, uh, so curses. Um, probably the most underused aspect of any witch class I've ever seen. Uh. We get lots of we get lots of spells, and I always want to I always want to open it up and look to see what they have for a curse. I mean, in regular good old fashioned D anD D, it's uh, usually a third level spell. At least that's the way it was still, uh, you know, third edition and on, you know, earlier. Mm-hmm. And usually, what do you get for a curse? Oh, bestow curse spell. Yeah, it's like yeah, that's fine and everything, but there really should be more meat to it. I mean, this is evil, you know, casting the evil eye, curses, you know, baleful polymorphs. These are the things that we, you know, think of when we think of witches. Mm-hmm. And usually they don't, you don't see a lot. I mean, even if I w- went through uh, the, um, you know, the witch book here from Mayfair, I don't even remember if there's no. any particular curse spells that jumped out at me. No, not uh-huh. the, maybe the only thing I saw that was traditional to witch would be the love spell or the love potion right. spell. I was supposed to do a traditional witch I saw. So I mean, even now, <gasps> sure, uh, you can th- you can. What I did for I did a D twenty witch book years and years ago, mm-hmm. and for the bestow curse spell, I I listed the spell there. And I'm like, this is the basic spell, and then I did about a page of things that you could use as a curse. So instead of making each one an individual spell, I made a one spell where the witch gets to choose what the curse is going to be. So, you know, like, you know, curse of ugliness. So you get a minus two on your charisma rolls or you get, you know, a minus two on any ability check. You just have to stay when you're doing the cursing, you have to say that this is what it is. Or turned into a newt. 
Yeah. Turn it in, in. But you can get better. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was. Uh, I think what I was thinking of is the Stephen King uh, book slash movie Thinner. Oh you know, yeah. Jesse curses the the guy. Oh my gosh, yes. And I like. That's the way curses are supposed to work. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's not something that I think. Uh, obviously, you know, in a game, you want to, and it's an NPC which that they're fighting. You'd like the curse to take effect immediately. Like, oh, you know, curse, you know, curse of clumsiness. Every roll you make from this point forward is going to be a one, uh, which probably is pro- more powerful than a third level spell. But you know, maybe a minus ten on all your combat rolls. Yikes. But then, you know, think of the other things you could do with a curse, like even lycanthropy. Yeah. I mean, it's something minor. It's like, well, you know, not full-blown lycanthropy, because I think there's actually a six-level spell that does that. Yes. You have the it, curse of the Werewolf. That's right. So, you know, it happens, you know, it's something that happens more over time. It depends, I guess, on how you see the, you know, what you see the characters doing after this encounter. Mm-hmm. And if you're, a, if you're playing a witch, you obviously don't want to send some curse up that isn't going to affect this you know, person six months later or even six hours later. You kind of like to affect them right now while they're swinging you know, large hunks of metal at you. Mm-hmm. But thin, I, Thinner was like, as you mentioned, though, that, that book in the movie, it's kind of, I guess, realistically, when a which bestows a curse, the curse isn't necessarily readily apparent. Right. It like slowly comes over time that the, the, the curse makes itself manifest. So but I could see like in a game mechanic standpoint, yeah, you're right. It's like you want the curse to have immediate effect. I've used the, uh, I don't know if you both are familiar with the Warlock movie that came out in the 90s. Oh yeah, I'm sure. Jillian, yeah, Jillian Sands. Yeah, I've used that yeah. curse that he used on the actress when he took the uh, bracelet from her, and she kept getting older by the day. Yeah, I've done that to PCs just to, just to toy with them as well for a curse, just see yeah. how they reacted. It was kind of an interesting one. Yeah, the long the long term ones work better if it's an NPC affecting the PCs. Mm-hmm. If you're a PC witch, though, um, yeah. you want your curses to have a little bit more immediacy to them i think <laughs> i can imagine a party say you know they get they have the witch do her curse and they say what'd you do to him well in about six months you'll see <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> what do you mean six months we need something to happen like now oh right. happen now but six months from now mm. <laughs> great yeah <laughs> well and i think i mean that even go that even goes beyond you know s- system too because consider like you know the Buffy game or Ghosts of Albion mm-hmm. if I want to do a curse and it takes that long well then naturally I would say well maybe that's a, that's actually a lower power level of the spell and if it's something that takes place now the power level is a lot higher and in that game it's a little more flexible because then that just depends on what I roll but with, like I said D&D is very combat centric mm-hmm. and yeah the, I mean I've done some fantastic role playing in D&D outside of combat where it would have been, you know, fun to do something like that. But if I'm going to throw a, if I'm going to waste my third level spell slot, is it going to be bestow curse or is it going to be lightning bolt? Hmm. Um, well, if it, if I'm sticking with, you know, the theme and I'm very, I'm very keen on sticking with the theme on the classes, I'll take curse. I still want something that's going to affect them right away. Right. Hmm. 
Yeah, you don't wait in six months like Nick said. <laughs> exactly. You're going to get thinner all, all the time. All of his hair is going to fall out of his body. Well, I guess it could be kind of neat to do the whole old age thing on a, on a key NPC in the uh, DM's mm-hmm. game and watching him freak out and having to beg for his life as a player, but, you know, why not? Yeah, the the other the other thing that I've actually considered doing is that a curse is actually the word a wit any evil witch uses to describe almost any spell. Mm. So that a curse is is a generic term for evil spell. Oh, okay. Um, that's sort of I think probably bending the uh, idea a little bit, um, and it's sort of gets rid of the need for the third level, again, bestow curse spell. Of course, somebody's going to look it up and say, oh, it's second level, and you're going to start getting all the emails and everything. And nah, I no, immediately no, we blow, love that. It's great. Yeah, blow, so. blowing, all my, blowing all my credibility <laughs> here when I could easily pull a book down and look it up. Well, your credibility's blown. You're on the show no, anyway, no, no, so it just blows anybody's I wouldn't worry too much. <laughs> Not many of the fans are three and up edition fans here, so. Yeah. Worry. Exactly. I think it's I think it's the third level though in uh, first edition as well, and I, I'll you know I'll readily admit that second I say this all the time second edition is the forgotten edition of D and D. I'd like um, to forget it. Oh, yeah, I mean I, I have the second edition. It didn't it didn't seem to have the charm that first edition had. It didn't certainly didn't have the uh, the presence that third edition did. Mm-hmm. Well, you but, have the cleric spell blessed that you can reverse into curse, so right. Yes, you can toy. Well, that's with a that. first level. Yeah, you, know? you can toy with that as a DM. So I that's true. I mean, you could do that. You could definitely do something like that. Where, and I think that the most you get out of that's a minus one. Yeah, on yeah, something. it's a minus one to saves and to hit. I believe. Right? As a DM, you I could, think you can adjust it by making like a um, what is it? Uh, curse, and you can do like a major curse and a. Greater curse and things like that. If you want to make up your really, own. really great curse, really, really bad curse. Uh, shut up. Nick. Yeah, the, <laughs> the the witch in the, the in the Pathfinder game. Yeah, actually does quite a bit of that, and they call them hexes. Oh, that's ah. a good idea. In that, so I think, but I've, I've got some, I've got some problems with the Pathfinder witch. Oh. Um, okay. It's like one thing that they don't do in that game is there's no covens. Or you can join a coven, but it's got to have a hag in it. <laughs> I'm like, well, that's fine and everything, but uh, what if I'm a chaotic good you know, witch who spent most of her time in fairy? Well, you're out of luck. I'm out of luck, I guess. So. Too bad. Yeah, I think that's, that's probably the other thing that you don't see too much of in terms of playing. It's like, well, witches are known to be in covens. Well, we're, we're not so much where the rules for covens, but where's the role playing for the covens? Right. I don't they do speak about in one of the traditions in the Mayfair book. I think it's the Diana. Witch. Yeah, Diana it's under the medieval section, yes. Yeah, they talk about talk covens about and how that works with the officer and everything. I thought that was kind of neat. Yeah, that's kind of cool. And that works great if there's more than one witch in your group. But if you're only playing you know, one character, I mean, I'll sometimes let my kids play two characters because it's just the two of them. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you if you you gotta have you gotta have the right group. That's what it boils down to. But that that that's a cop out. That's the that's the answer to everything, really. You gotta have the right group. Yeah, true. Well, I guess you could do it. I mean, when I played some third edition, I I remember I was going. One of my characters was trying to become one of the Harpers. So I mean, the mm-hmm. DM accommodated that. So it's kind of the same thing. Secret Society Coven, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 
And that puts another role-playing aspect on it, too, because the coven has its own motivations. Oh, yeah. So they're right. probably passing on information to the witch that's in the group and say, well, you have to do this and make sure the party doesn't do this. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Nick with the plot. and yeah. <laughs> Me, known as the lazy DM. Yeah, the plot. lazy Plot schmot. No. <laughs> lazy DM. Yeah. Mon- you... Mon- Monster of the week. Here, this is what you got to kill today. I'm not yeah. that lazy. No. <laughs> uh, or you could be like one of my other friends who just watches Supernatural and takes that that episode and just brings it into the game the next day. So, you know, why not? Uh, sure. Just steal the, just the episode of the show and make it into a game. Why not? So curses. There. I'm going to curse. Curse. Ha ha. Yeah. There you go. Something we don't do on this show is curse. We're good. Yeah, damn it. We don't curse. <gasps> Nick. <laughs> okay, I guess and on that note, uh, we're going to have to say... PG rating or something. Yeah, we're family rated. We're a good podcast. You can listen in the office. You can listen at home with the kids. We're good for that. <laughs> we try to keep it that way because, you know, all ages should be able to play the game and it should be accepted everywhere. It shouldn't be shunned in the corner. In the yeah, there's enough certain. podcasts that are obnoxious throwing F-bombs around. We don't Ugh. need to be that. Tell That's true. It. It's a gimmick. We don't need it. Listen to Thacko's Hammer. You can hear Corey do it every other word. <laughs> well, not every other word, <laughs> but close enough. Every third word. Yeah, every third <laughs> word, probably. Anyway, we love Thacko's Hammer, our sister podcast. Yes. Cool. For the edition that was kind of forgotten. Well, as Glenn... That's right, yeah. As Glenn calls <laughs> it, the red-headed stepchild of podcasts, so... <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Tim, we thank you for coming on the show. Hey, uh, thanks for having me. I really yeah, appreciate great it. Great having you on, Tim. Tim. Great insight on this on the stuff on witches. Why yep. don't you uh, give yep. yourself a few little plugs? Tell people how they can follow sure. you. Sure. Well, out. you know, I know that I know, Vince. I know that you're a huge fan of uh, Holmes Basic. Oh yeah. And uh, I have a ba- I have a basic uh, witch book out. Oh really. So that if you want, if you and it, it's somewhat Holmes inspired. It's more mold va- basic because uh, that's where I got my start. Definitely not Menser basic, but it. Uh, I, I can't. I don't want to say that it's Labyrinth Lord or Basic Fantasy compatible mm-hmm. uh, because I never really applied for the compatibility license, and I wanted it more generically compatible with quote unquote basic era games. Right. Gotcha. But that's a, if you just go if you go to drive through RPG. Uh, it's called the witch. Okay. And it's, uh, you know, it's got my name or you can, you can search for me on there. You'll find, you can find the witch. You can find ghosts of Albion. I'm not listed with the Eden. I'm not listed with the Buffy games because well, I think maybe Slayer's handbook, uh, because it just says, I think the authors on there are listed as Eden studios. Yeah, they are. Uh, but yeah, go to the, go to there. It's, you know, the PDFs five bucks. And it's 36 levels of witch playing goodness where I probably violate everything I said I don't like about the witch uh, in there. But uh, I've got that, and there's a, I've got, God, I think I've got like 300 spells oh, wow. All right. in it, too. Um, and it's basically stuff that I've been picking at over the years. Uh, like I said, I, I, I've been writing since forever, and I just hold on to it under my hard drive, and every so often I'll pull it out and polish it up and stick it up there so uh, that's out now that came out in october and i'm pretty pleased with it uh so you can go find that i've got another one coming out called eldritch witchery which is very much inspired by the old OD eldritch wizardry uh rules oh okay cool 
And that's gonna that's actually gonna be for the spellcraft and sword play game. Mm-hmm. Mm. Uh, that's sort of the what if version of O D and D. If O D and D had stuck with the original version of their combat, instead of using the D twenty, they use the two D six. So it's a two D six version of D and D. But it's got some it's got some it's got some neat twists on it, and I I, I dig I kind of dig the game. And it's if you if you like an old school game that's you know rolls pretty fast and you only want and it only uses two like I said two six sided instead of a d twenty so it's a little bit different got a bit of a different vibe to it that I kind of like so I got that coming out. I've got I've got some other stuff coming out too from uh, Battlefield Press right I'm doing another uh, I've got a couple more Victorian era things coming out oh yeah well Mike would. Uh, Mike from Saver Die would probably like to talk to you. He loves that stuff too. Got yeah. A quick question for you: How I, you mentioned Victoria era, which seemed like a pretty much fan fan of Cthulhu by Gaslight. What do you think of that? I love Cthulhu by Gaslight. I ran out it, when the third my my second edition copy was falling apart, terrible shape. I was really irritated that I, there was no legal PDF out there for me to get. So as soon as third edition came out, I'd already pre-ordered it. I ran to my uh, local game store, and I'll put a plug in for them, Games Plus and Mount Prospect. Mm -hmm. Uh, If you're in the Chicago area, you know it. Um, Ran there, picked it up, got on drive-thru, got the PDF as well, because that's how much I love it. Uh, Even if I never play it, and I, I just love using all the material for Ghosts of Albion. Yeah. Okay. I just think it's fantastic. That was the one of the source books when it first came out. I did not get. I just first it didn't seem to have an appeal to me. But I, I guess there, like yourself, there's a lot of people say, you know, what? it's a really, really cool source book. It is, for, you know, Victorian era England, you know, British Empire role playing with Cthulhu mythos. So, you know, I might have to pick up the new edition. It's it's worth it. I mean, it's the nice thing about it is too is it's got some it's got some nice maps. It's got some. Uh, you know, some uh, how much different products cost at the time. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was pretty cool. How about if they want to follow you, Tim, or they want to read your blog? Uh, my blog's the other side, and you can find me at uh, what what is what is my address? I believe it's uh, t- <laughs> uh, <laughs> I should know this stuff by now. Yeah, uh, it's uh, Tim Brannon. Uh, so T I M B R A N N A N dot blogspot dot com. And I've got a link up for my uh, books there, so you can go find that. Or you know, and I just I'm constantly writing stuff and throwing throwing stuff up. So I've got a few free things. I've got a basic. Uh, I've actually got a basic vampire class that I give oh. away for free. So if you want to play a vampire in basic rules, because it's back when classes and races were the same thing, mm-hmm. I've got vamp. You can start off as a first level vampire, which is <laughs> almost nothing, and then work your way all the way up to a vampire lord of uh, 14th level. Cool. So, wow. So that's for free, and you can get that, and I've got character sheets, and I've got, I think I've got a couple Ghosts of Albion adventures up there, too. Uh, some swords and wizardry stuff, which is kind of neat. I've been getting into some castles and crusades, so I'm probably going to be doing some stuff with that coming up soon. Cool. So yeah, or just you know, Google my name. You'll you'll probably find me. I'm I'm kind of I'm kind of all over the place. 
And how about are you on Twitter, Facebook? Do you do any of those things? I'm on, yeah, I'm on Facebook. So just search for my name, Tim Brannon. And I wasn't thinking when I did my Twitter. That one's actually Tim S. Brannon. Mm. So, so it's just the same B R A N N A N. And I'm on Twitter. I'm not very active on Twitter. I'll I'll be honest with you because I haven't figured out. I keep thinking that well, I post it to my blog, and then I post a link on Facebook, and then if I post a link on Twitter, don't people are going to start thinking that I'm I have nothing better to do than talk about myself all day. <laughs> but I'm on I'm on Twitter as well, and I'll re, I'll retweet some things. I there's I follow a few people that I think are pretty interesting on there. Gail Simone always has something pretty clever to say. The comic book writer, mm-hmm. and yeah, I'm on Facebook as well. So you can find me there. You have a lot of stuff of uh, for the Buffy game on here as well. I'm looking at your website. Yeah. Anybody wants to get into that? Great game to play. It's fun, quick and easy. I, yeah, I, I played a lot of Buffy and I played a lot of uh, uh, Witchcraft back in the, uh, the early part of 2000. So a lot of the things I write for the Witch, I'm actually even pulling from sort of that. Oh, okay. Cool. All right, so I guess we're going to have to uh, say goodbye, and uh, we thanked him again. And yes, don't oh. get turned into a newt. That's ah. right. Get better. And uh, mm-hmm. as always, if you have a chance to come back, we'd appreciate you stopping by again. So Great, I'd love to. Excellent. So I guess we'll say this is Vince for Nick saying keep it original, keep it old school. Good night, everybody. Good night, everyone. Night, thanks so much. for initiative.